Welcome to the <clears throat> welcome to the Untitled Podcast. You know what the name is. We don't, but we're getting closer. Hopefully, maybe really. We spent like five minutes talking about the name of the podcast just before we got started. So trust us, we yep. we are making progress. This is the third show. Maybe by the fourth one, we'll we'll know what we're called. Uh, I'm Ken Newquist, a forty-something geek dad, comic book fan, and uh, outdoor enthusiast who does not get outdoors nearly enough these days. And I'm joined by my co-host, um, David Moore, and I'm also a 40-something geek dad, uh, coder, gamer, and guy who says yes to his inner voice far too often for new projects. This week, we're going to talk about some of the stuff we did this last week, and I'm realizing maybe we don't have a main topic as we go through this. Uh, we'll come up with something. There'll be a subtle cut as we talk about that, I'm sure. <laughs> but both a lot and not a lot has happened with me this last week. I've been exercising a lot, you know, more than I was last week. I found myself going on at least three, if not four, 20-minute walks a day, which is weird because, like, this week is in the high 80s, and yet I still feel so much better after walking. It gives me a lot of headspace to to think about stuff. I just put on some music. Occasionally a podcast, but sometimes a podcast shoves the other thoughts out of my head. You might be hearing yeah. some fireworks because uh, it is that time of year. We're getting really close to the 4th of July, although we haven't yep. needed any excuses to fire off fireworks here in Pennsylvania because now they're legal. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're, they are. No judgment. I'm just Indiana. saying there's more fireworks going off because now <laughs> people can buy them. <laughs> yeah, they are legal in, in Indiana as well. Actually, I got a, a message from someone in our subdivision on next door i don't know if you guys if you're familiar with that social media network they're like yeah just so you know if you have young children or ch or pets who are afraid of fireworks we are definitely holding our annual show on the third okay it's big enough that you have to warn us <laughs> <laughs> like, well oh it's nice God. that they're warning you <laughs> yeah yeah i but i like i moved from illinois two years ago and they had a lot of fireworks in our town even though they were illegal here it's People take it to 11. They're not shooting it past 11. You know, people, they realize people need to sleep, but there's a lot. It's very pretty. Just so you know, this podcast is probably going to be later than hopefully future podcasts will be. Not that you care because all of this is, none of this has come out yet. And you don't even know that this podcast exists yet when we're recording it, at least. But I'm really behind on editing. Hopefully we have better audio. The podcast will be perfect by the time it's finally released. <laughs> right, right. And then you get to listen through all the crappy stuff. And then you'll get to the really good stuff. Maybe we'll we'll do them out of order. And then it'll get be really good. And then it will become crappy. We'll <laughs> That's great. Because people are so used to the opposite, right? Right, yeah. We'll <laughs> Why improve over now? time when you could be crappy, then good, then crappy, yeah. then good? Yeah. I started reading The Color of Magic. By Terry Pratchett, the first book in the Discworld series. Tor Books, one of the people there, it's a virtual book club. And so they said, I'm going to read Color of Magic and we're just going to start reading the Discworld series. I've read other books from the Discworld series. Um, Terry Pratchett himself has said, if you are starting with the Discworld series, don't start with the Color of Magic because <laughs> it was his very first book on it. My friend John, he introduced me to a good reading order for Discworld. Um, and there's there it's out there on the internet. And I started, I think, with some like Guards Guards, I think was my first book. I started that and I've also realized after years of reading about your summer reading list, 
that I should probably start my own reading list because I can't just go and browse a bookstore shelf and just grab something when I want to read. So often I would go very long spans without reading things. So I've, I've kind of got a few books right now and I'm going to be adding to it as a, a reading list. Color Magic is right now. Um, I picked up uh, The Calculating Stars by Mary Robinette Kowal. And then there's another one called Gideon the Ninth. And I thought it it was by, it's by Tamsin Muir. And I thought it sounded really cool, but I can't remember where I first heard about it. I think it might've been on Twitter. And I guess I'll talk about it more when I actually read into it. Cause I can't remember a ton about it other than Gideon either in service to, or is a necromancer. That's really generic. <laughs> so I'll have it, it, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, when I, uh, read about it enough that I immediately bought it on Kindle. So I'm going to, I'm going to partly steal probably one of your segments, which is the fact that we finished our last segment of tales from the loop. As we mentioned last time, uh, we were working, we, uh, Ken and I were playing in a game of tales from the loop with some friends. Um, and we finished our last session this last Friday. I, I had a lot of fun with it. It's a fun game. And I realize I'm way out of practice with, narrative style games which is what that game tends to lean toward our group really started to kind of come out of its shell or or get more enthused at least it seemed to me when we focused more on the kids and their background and their interactions rather than the adventure itself um and so since i was running a module which is what i don't normally do ever um all the way back (laughs) to when i first started gaming I will take modules, I will steal from modules, but then I will run my own game. Um, and this time I wrote, ran the module, and it felt like sometimes like the, sometimes like you as a player, not you personally, but like the group, I should say, was like waiting for the next shoe to drop, or the next like, here's, our, here's your next hook that you must follow, um, is the way that it kind of felt. And I, and I, I want to play more, um, either play or run, uh, cause Tales from the Loop seems like one of the things with that, like, if like you or anybody else on the, in the group wanted to run, I could make a, a kid and then their kid could just be off at grandma's house for the weekend, you know, and just do that. Um, yeah, I think that would be really easy. I think as the book also talks about like, a. I think it's a like a campaign landscape or the story landscape where like you know you're it's almost like a like the I don't want to it's sandboxy right I don't want to call it a hex crawl but like there are encounters in the land and then you know you're on your bike and running around the land and um, I guess if you're on your bike you're cycling around the land but (laughs) you know you're going from place to place and you're encountering things and then stuff just kind of happens right Right. so there could be the broken down robot in the woods and you guys oh let's go play in the woods right like um. I think I think it was fun. I mean, I certainly enjoyed it. I think uh, you know it's it's always challenging to to learn a new game. I think that uh, the the challenge for us as kids was figuring out how to build up those social interactions between the kids. I think the game kind of expects that you're going to have these cutscenes where you're you know, and now you know it's Saturday morning. What cartoon are you right. watching? And wait, your parents are fighting in the background. What do you do? Right. Um, and I think the challenge is like, you know, the thing I was thinking about, there's nothing, I don't know if that kind of narrative responsibility should be falling on the the, the game master 
or like the characters, the players should be taking more ownership. It doesn't have a mechanic like fate does, you know, like when we would play spirit of the century where I can compel this aspect of your character, right? Like you may not want to actually engage in this thing. And if you don't want to, that's totally cool. But Hey, here's this cool little, you know, fate chip. If you would like, if you want to, you know, buy what I'm selling, you know, we can have some fun with this. Right. Yep. Um, and, and so I don't know that tales from the loop <laughs> necessarily has that particular mechanic it, to encourage those kinds of things. Yeah. It's not, there's not a, an economy in that sense, you know, it's much right. more of a, um, you know, you kind of offer, but you, the, the other person can always refuse or, you know, like a player can call for a scene, um, you know, like, Hey, I want to do this, but, um, you know, there isn't like a, there isn't a, a point or, or bait point or anything like that, like that sort of economy to, to facilitate that. It's just right. Whenever someone wants to do that, they kind of offer it up, um, you know, and fitting those in naturally feels like that's hard for me, uh, at least with this group currently, because none of us have played together before. Um, right. You know, like you and I have played in a game before I played with Natalie before separately years ago. Um, and then, uh, um, Taylor, Taylor. Yeah. I thought it was Taylor. Uh, <laughs> obviously I have not played with him before cause I we just <laughs> met. So yeah, overall, I, th I think our group was also kind of still gelling together and understanding each other when the game ended. So, uh, I'm hoping we continue. Um, you know, the, the call is out there for, for the group to say, Hey, let's keep going. And we'll, we'll let you know if that actually happens. But tales from the loop itself, if you, especially if you like, uh, a narrative game, um, uh, where you have some, you know, some ad living and you have like proactive players who, who say, Hey, I want to go do this. Um, this is a good game for you. I agree. And I think it's also a fairly forgiving game. I mean, you're, it is meant to be, you're playing kids. So the kids are never going to get hurt. We talked about them before, but even within the game, there's a lot of different ways to pull in, like to help each other. Um, and to like, to pull in extra dice and build up that dice pool. Now, if I built up yep. the dice pool, I'm not going to roll any sixes, which are the, what are successes <laughs> because that's the way I was rolling in this game. Um, those dice will be purged and replaced with new dice. Uh, if, and when we get to it was, it was kind of weird. It was, it was kind of weird watching all those dice rolls. Uh, um, you know, the bigger the pool, it seemed the less likely people were to succeed, even though you only need one success right. on all those dice, um, to get a basic right. success. Um, but I remember, uh, Taylor was rolling like eight dice. It's like, this is my character's signature skill. Eight dice, zero successes. So like, <laughs> and so it does, it does give you these opportunities. Like there are ways to re-roll because you have yeah. luck points. And, and so it does, it, like that's why I say it's very forgiving in so much as I've played other games where it's like, well, you know, you lost. So now you lose a yep. limb, you know, yep. <laughs> it's, it's not that kind of a game. <laughs> yeah, it's much more of like uh, Spirit of the Century, Dresden Files, Fate in general, um, or or some other games that are similar to that where Blades in the Dark is also similar to that, where failure makes the story more interesting, not as a roadblock to stop things until you figure out a way around it. Um, yes. So, like, you can still succeed in the action, but there's a consequence for that action. 
um like at one point there you guys were trying to um move a big pole um big heavy pole and if you had failed one you know you would have been fatigued um you know so you would still would have moved the pole but it would have taken something out of you and so now you have some penalties for the fact that you're fatigued you know on your dice pools and then it's super easy to call for a scene of like hey i want us all to go back to our hideout and talk about some stuff and then all of those temporary um uh temporary conditions just go away because you take some time and you know you work through being scared or you rest a little and your fatigue is gone or you put a band-aid on the cut that sort of thing right and it's only when you've taken multiples of those conditions and don't have a chance or you've pushed yourselves to to keep going when maybe you guys shouldn't have as a as a kid where you can get like uh oh you fell off your bike and broke your leg okay well now that's a more more long-term thing and now you're now you have a cast for the rest of the summer yeah it's I, i i like it it's a neat it's a neat system i'd like to play more of it um and if we don't play more of that more of a different game would be also be pretty cool. And as we discussed before, we've got plenty that we want to play. So there's, we do. there's certainly fodder for future <laughs> games. Yeah, I don't remember if I talked about Ex Novo last time we we spoke, but I don't believe we did. It was a game that I picked up in Itch.io's bundle for racial justice, and there's like 1,700 different items in there. And I picked that up, and I found Ex Novo in among those nearly 2000 different things but it, it's neat so ex novo is an the idea is you are uh the conceit is you're a, a guardian spirit of this newly founding uh settlement and um it's meant to be played with one or more they say four but you reading through it you could have more than four especially if you're building a big settlement or an old settlement and basically, it's just a framework for you to kind of build an area, um, a city or something like that. And it's very similar in concept to uh, the Dresden Files role-playing game, where after you're done making all of your characters, all of you as players sit down and go through the very, uh, very similar character creation process, but you create the city that all of, that all of your characters will be adventuring in. Um, you know, that's where you all live. That's where, where all the adventures will take place. And so, and so the city itself becomes another character in the game, which is a really, really cool concept and makes for some pretty, uh, you know, if you have the time, if you have the, the time to do your session zeros, it might be multiple session zeros for your character creation, your city creation. I could see a very long lasting Dresden Files campaign happening because everyone has kind of a, a, a way to touch base with the city and they have a very personal connection to it, both as the character, but as a, as a person who said, yeah, I made this shop we're going to go to, you know, so they have a, a very kind of visceral connection to it. And Ex Novo is kind of the same thing, but more generic for any setting for the gamma world hex crawl. Not everybody could show up this last weekend. And so I'm like, okay, well we only have myself and two of the players. Let's, uh, let's, Let's try this thing. Let's crack out uh, Ex Novo. Well, we decided on a settlement size. We said it's going to be, um, you know, kind of a smaller settlement with maybe a generation or so have, having lived there. 
and it started out, I was, I was worried starting out. It was like, oh, great. Okay. So we have this map and we drew some lines on it for, for different areas. And then it's like, okay, well now roll for the major geographic features. Like, oh, great. There's a river through it. But then we started actually getting into some of the other pieces of it. It actually takes you through a couple of steps of that settlement growing. Shortly after that river was there, you know, another feature was, you know, someone created a feature of there was a cave system, but we described the cave system, you know, the, the person who rolled for that basically you take turns as you go and you roll on these different charts. And so that person went, okay, well, the cave system, since this is Gamma World, the cave system, there's a bunch of small caves uh, with, that are that are lined with metal. And out of one of the one of the caves has robots that occasionally go in and out of it, but no one has been able to find any doors or any openings that these when the robots go in, we don't know where they go because the cave just sort of ends. And so that's like off to the side of the settlement. It's like so this is this is a potential adventure just waiting to happen, you know, and then we found out, oh, the major food supply are was some edible animals and so we came up with the idea that there are crickets about the the length of your hand are you know basically these giant grasshoppers uh not crickets grasshoppers uh and so we named them hoppers that's what this settlement's primary meat source is um and then from there we were supposed to make a new faction and we're like oh we have the brewers faction who after the meat's been harvested they take the carcasses and any of the bits and bobs that are remaining and throw them into a vat and let that ferment. And then they boil things up and they make beer and spirits out of it. Literal bug juice. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. And so, and then, and then it was like, okay, this is pretty cool. We got some ideas. Uh, several of us were like, yeah, I wonder how this, the brewers are going to develop. And then we had another, another group called diggers, which wanted to do some engineering things build up more architecture and like some aqueduct type things to bring water to the fields that the hoppers lived in. And then the next phase, there was a disaster. The brewer's district caught on fire after a massive explosion. And one of the, one of the elders of the, of the town died. Some of this was rolling of like, Hey, something happens. One of the factions loses power, but we got to decide why. And that was, you know, so it's not all, it, it definitely not pre-scripted. And so we went with this, you know, one of the elders died. Now spirits aren't allowed to be brewed anymore because it's thought that, that one of the distilleries exploded and that was the cause of the fire. And it just went on from there. There's now another group called, another faction called the Herders because at one, in one of our steps, all the, all the grasslands that these hoppers lived in died. Um, like died out because of one reason or another. And now they're, those hoppers aren't as concentrated. They weren't in pens like chickens or anything like that. So they're free roaming. And so now we have the herders that actually go around hop boys and, and hop pokes to, uh, to go around and herd these giant grasshoppers to keep the food supply going. And then when we ended with it, you know, it's like everybody is like, yeah, I want to play again. You know, I want to go back to town now. Because everybody has, you know, the town has a history and it's, it's, uh, you know, everybody, you know, everybody who is there has, has their finger on a portion of it. And, uh, and I think it'll be a pretty cool RP tool 
in this hex crawl. I'm looking forward to this next Sunday, although probably won't happen since that'll be like the day after 4th of July, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fantastic. I think that kind of collaborative world building is always really cool. Um, I think my, my group many years ago, I ran a campaign called Dark City, which was set in our homegrown city of Obsidian Bay and set in like the world of Greyhawk on the frontier. And so we played it in it for years. And so we started off as first level characters living in the city. And so it's it mm -hmm. primarily an urban campaign. And so the oh, cool, cool thing is, it's like, you know, you're just constantly like everybody would have a scene. I would do round robin around the table. Tell me like where you are, what is it you're going to do? And so people would, you know, oh, well, there's this dress shop or like that potion shop, or I need to want to buy this thing. And like, that's the kind of thing that always happens kind of, or I like it when it happens organically. I shouldn't say it always happens, right? Because mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's like pulling teeth to get players to want to do that sort of thing. Like, oh, no, 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 that's, that's your job as the GM, right? Especially right. if they're not really that comfortable with that sort of thing. Right. Um, but in that game, it was great because we were just kind of, it really fleshed out the city. Cause we, and we've been playing in this city for like, my campaign is very long running. So we've been playing in this city for like 10 years. We were playing high level adventurers who were going off and occasionally accidentally blowing up portions of town and getting kicked out of Greyhawk <laughs> or what have you. Oops. So to come back and be like the red shirts who are like living on the streets or, you know, at that level, like street level um, adventuring was kind of cool, right? Like, oh, there are giant rats coming out of the sewers. Who knew? <laughs> that seems bad. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, that's one of the reasons I like uh, things like fate and such is that sort of situation happens in in D and D games where groups are like, oh yeah, let me make up this NPC or let me make up this this corner shop um, or you know an alchemist or whatever. But there's nothing in the rules that says that it's allowed. And a lot of times, if it's not in the rules, especially it's weird, uh, especially. Uh, long time gamers, if it's not in the rules, they don't think they can do it. Um, it just doesn't occur to, to people that they can do it. Like even me, you know, it happens right. to me too. It's hard to break habits. It is. I mean, we found it that is. in it's other like, games. Oh, we here's played, my, right? here's like, my codified rule set. I will live within that rule set. Whereas with fate, you know, one of the things it says at the very beginning of fate is your character is proactive, that things don't happen to your character. You happen to the world it gives you mechanics to do that as well. You know, it's like, I want this to happen or, you know, I, I know a guy, you know, down at the docks and then you immediately, then, you know, spending that fate point, you can then describe who that guy is and some of their past background and past and add to the world. It's a, it's a different mindset. I love when it happens in D and D, but it doesn't happen nearly as often because it's not something that. Right. It's not really it's, the structure of the there. game. It's not part of the structure of the game. Right. Um, rules sometimes really matter in that sense. Right. Yeah. I think sometimes they need that incentive. I've, I've played games like I played uh, the Battlestar Galactica game. We did a play test of that cool. many years ago and it's using the Cortex system and it has, uh, you know, the, the it has kind of like a reward system where there's bonus points that you can use to spend to increase your dice pool and what have you. And so when I had play tested it at gen con um you know the the gm had said like you know basically the reward should flow like rain yes. and it created this really cool dynamic that pulled people out of their shells and like you know so like they there was it was setting up this reward system that really just like people who were playing this game and like they just like i just don't know how they're describing they came out of their shells and they were just really into it because the yep. game was really rewarding is either <laughs> impressive or or pathetically sad i finally made it to the final temple 
in uh, Legends of Zelda, Zelda Ocarina of Time. Um, it's only taken me 22 years. I mean, I started right. playing this on the, on the Nintendo 64, uh-huh. and I am finally now in the freaking Final Temple on my now, 3DS. So Okay, okay. So, <laughs> so you have the easier Water Temple. I did have the easier Water Temple. So I, I read up I, on the old Water Temple, and it was very hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually still have my Nintendo 64 and Ocarina of Time, and, and my kids are, have played it. I don't know if they've actually completed the whole thing, but um, but yeah, that's the original Water Temple. I I hear it's better on the the 3DS um, than it is on the Nintendo 64. I don't really remember it being super hard. That was a long time ago. <laughs> it's a multi-dimensional. <laughs> yeah, I think what's challenging about it, it's multiple levels, and you have to like solve different puzzles to get the water levels to go up and there's yeah. it, it's i mean it's put on it, boots and sink and- yeah it's a very it's a very tough puzzle i got stuck on the shadow temple i think it is um where you're fighting this guy he's got like two big hands that come down and do like a bongo type thing um and i just could not beat him like last summer i was gonna say i'm gonna beat this game and i got to that point and i got stuck and i, I didn't yep. beat it i kind of ran out of time and so this past uh Late spring into uh, summer, I've been playing it, and I, I actually got to the beat that boss, and I have finally gotten onto the final temple. So maybe I will actually complete the game this summer. All right, um, and then <laughs> on to Majora's Mask. No, no, my son, my son has played it. It's fun. It's fascinating to talk about my with uh, my son about these things because he loves Zelda. He's played all the different Zelda games, and so now he's actually he's fourteen now, and so he likes. He's getting to the point where he's getting nostalgic for the games when he played when he was younger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had gone from um, Ocarina of Time to Majora's Mask. And that's a trippy game. I mean, I've read oh, yeah. about it. I certainly like know what the deal is. And he's like, I didn't really understand what it was about when I was because he was playing it when it was like eight. Right. And so mm-hmm. um, it was hard for him. And now, you know, at 14, he's like waxes nostalgic about having played this game and now actually understanding and thinking about playing it again just to be able to experience it as a you know not quite a grown-up but you know right as 14 you understand the world a little bit better than when you did when you were eight right Right. six Um, years of experience yeah i think my next game i'm i'm either trying to talk myself into it or talk myself out of it is a dragon quest uh 11 which is echoes of an exclusive age the definitive edition which came out for switch and so this is a japanese style rpg Okay. Um, Dragon Quest games are these huge, massive, sprawling games. I think I played the uh, Dragon Quest Nine on the DS and then 3DS. This is one that took me like I don't know five years to complete. I spent <laughs> 200 hours playing it, and it's you know, so it's got like kind of like the grind mechanic where you know, oh, I couldn't beat that boss, so I guess I have to go off and do you know, kill slimes for a couple of hours until I level up and can go back and face it again. Um, but it's really good. I mean, I, I very much enjoyed the story of. Of Dragon Quest Nine and uh, Dragon Quest Eleven introduces this kind of like flashbacks back segments where apparently there are dungeons because all of these is a RPG, right? They have to have right. dungeons, right? Some of the dungeons are flashbacks to previous versions of Dragon Quest, like Dragon Quest Three or Four or whatever, and you play them in sixteen bit graphic mode. Oh my gosh, nice! Which I'm like, I think I have to play this. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, take me until I'm like. 55 to finish it but um <laughs> you know so this yep. is an investment yep but um and it looks great on the on the switch too so i'm torn cool. because i know what time what, what, how like getting sucked into this game will do to me but uh 
it is a cool mobile game. And the other cool thing is it's I, at the time when I first started playing Dragon Quest, I was looking for a cool RPG that you could just take with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is this would be a cool RPG that I could take with me. Yeah. 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 It was one of my kind of it was my go to game for going to conferences or, you know, you're on a plane going to Seattle or something or yep. you know Portland and you're on the plane for five hours. You can only watch right. so many movies, whip out Dragon Quest and you, know, you can play it for two hours. So yep. It's not really a problem right now because we're not really going anywhere. But um <laughs> yeah, my problem with games like that is um is playing it outside of those free time windows, you know, just uh not uh like, oh, yeah, I was I left it at this part. But yes. you know, like it might yes, be that, like that is hard. Yeah, it might be like a day or so before you have that that span of of quote-unquote free time um or where you're, you know, traveling or whatever. But it's like, do I want to wait that long? Can I just like right. not do this other thing that I'm supposed to be doing? So exactly, which is why I say I'm either talking myself into it or talking myself out of it. I can't yeah. quite figure it out what I'm doing with it. Um, so as you mentioned, I do have my summer reading list. Um, it's a uh, it's a it's a more manageable summer reading list. Last year, I had like something like 19 books on my summer reading list, and thus I didn't finish it until February of this year because I I may have. Uh, What's the saying? My eyes were bigger than my plate. Um, <laughs> yeah, eyes I took on entirely too many books. Yeah. Um, so uh, I won't go overly long because I know we've been chatting for a while, but uh, I'm, I've, I read The Unicorn Project, which is a follow-up to The Phoenix Project, which oh, is okay. a, a novel about DevOps. So I don't know. For people in IT likely have heard of The Phoenix Project. Um, the guys who wrote that went on to write the uh, the DevOps handbook. Um, and whereas the Phoenix project is really about taking kind of a traditional IT organization and applying agile methodology, agile and lean methodology to it. Um, the unicorn project is more taking it from the perspective of you're a person who already has these techniques coming into a dysfunctional organization. Um, these are books that can be very stressful to read if you've been in IT for a long time, because <laughs> it sounds like I know, need to uh, read this book right now with my current <laughs> project. Yeah, it's. Uh, I would read. I mean, I recommend that the the Phoenix Project is my is is the better book, um, and I think it's it's cool because, you know, I, everybody has been um, in that IT project that we could like. There was just the IT project from hell mm-hmm. that is just it seems to be going wrong in all of the ways, and um, and especially with traditional like waterfall style project management, where you know, well, we have this project plan, we wrote it twelve months ago. And now you're at this point where the project plan really isn't holding anymore, but people are trying to hold you to the project plan, but you've learned new things and like, you're just stuck in this terrible place. And so both of these books are about talking about different techniques for dealing with that. Um, And so it was very invigorating for me to read these books. Uh, I very much enjoyed them, but I would start with the, with the Phoenix project. Okay. Um, Yeah. My, my current client, um, you know, it's like two years worth of code of, they, they, I've come in because they changed all of their top level management of this project because the project was moving what they thought was super fast for two years, but really it was get these features out the door. I don't care what the code quality is, just get the features in. And now they're running into a bunch of problems um, and have been for a, uh, a while, which is why they've made this change in management of like, let's slow down now and actually right. make the code quality good so that we can actually put features out 
fast. You know, the the slow is smooth, smooth is fast sort of mentality. And right. I was brought in for for one of the code quality things because I have a good knowledge of Angular and and oh my gosh, uh, this is literally the worst code base I have ever worked in in my 20 plus years as a software developer. Um, it's getting better. It's been getting better. Um, and I'm very glad to see that, you know, a majority of the team wants it to be better. That's a big, big thing. Um, but dealing with, dealing with that code is hard. So, um, I think the unicorn project and the Phoenix project might be something that I should put on my reading reading list as well. Yeah, and they're and they're reasonably fast reads. I mean, the Unicorn Project might also be a good starting point. I mean, so they so in the in the Unicorn Project they talk about um, kind of like five different ideals, and so one of them was uh, focus, flow, and joy. And as a, so as a programmer, you shouldn't be sitting there beating your head against the wall. You should be there should be a flow to your work that makes sense. Yep, that is leading to like productive releases of code, right? And yep. you should actually enjoy it while you're doing it, right? Um, another thing that they talk about is like the the improvement of daily work, right? So that you know, a lot of times you sit there and you're just like, oh man, this is terrible, but I don't have time to deal with it. Building into the organization, the, you know, no, no, look, like if we all hate this, why don't we fix it? Right, right. <laughs> um, which because is also the, point, the Phoenix Project gets into. Yeah, because if you're at the point where you're hating the code that you're in, um, like you're not going to do as good of a job coding, but also you probably hate the code that you're in because it's not written cleanly. Uh, right. another book that I love is clean code. Um, and that's a book that I hardly recommend and I still haven't finished reading it. Um, but just we spend as, as coders, you know, we spend 90% of our time or more reading code, not actually writing it, you know? So the faster you can read it, the more time you will have to write it. Um, right. And so a lot of the code that I'm dealing with right now is, oh, I have to put this feature in let me just add on to this existing component and and get it done and oh okay it's done rather than taking a taking a moment and going should this be a new component and then this other component just calls it and then i can reuse that component somewhere else or whatever right. um cuz right now i'm dealing with uh, a 5000 line component and 3000 lines of html for one component um and i'm used to large components being maybe 300 lines of, of code and like 50 lines of html and that's large for me this is an order of magnitude larger um, you may want to find a nice secluded room in your house to read these books because i think as yeah. you're reading them you're gonna go yes yeah yeah <laughs> probably I, will this is terrible yes uh, hopefully and you know it gives you some like it's good fodder i think it's, um my whole team's read the Phoenix project at this point. And I think it, it helped us with like having some conversations about these things as we tried to be a little bit more agile in our workflows. Yeah. It's, and it's um, good to have that, that common uh, vocabulary to, to, to talk through, you know, and, and yes, and say, Oh yeah, it's like this, this, whatever jargon thing, or what with this, it's like this section of the book. Um, and then, like even if you have people that disagree with that section of the book, you can have a, a informed conversation about it. Um, and then what I find is, is as long as it's consistent um, in the way you handle things, that's usually a great starting point to make improvements on. 
exactly. So uh, those are <laughs> IT-oriented novels, which I never thought would actually be a thing that I would read, but I, I did, and I enjoyed them. Um, another book that I've read uh, on my summer reading list, actually I'm reading it right now, is called um, Fail, or no, wait, Fall, or Dodge in Hell by Neil Stevenson. So hmm. it's a follow-up to, I love Stevenson. Uh, Snow Crash is one of my all-time favorite books. Um, uh, which is a cyberpunk novel uh, from many years ago at this point. Yep. Um, it's an indirect follow-up to Cryptonomicon, which is another one of my favorite books. Uh, it's uh, And so it's also a kind of sequel of sorts to Remedy, which came out, I think, in the early, it was like 2003 or something like I that. I have not read that one yet. Um, and so it's, it, the setup for it is it's basically taking one of the characters from Remedy and um, throwing him into a virtual world. So this happens very easily uh, early on in the book. So it's not a spoiler, but the main character uh, Dodge dies and has his brain s- scanned. And mm, then mm-hmm. um, the digital infrastructure comes about uh, to upload his brain into the cloud. And then they start running the simulation of his brain. And so the story is the evolution of the real world, as well as the evolution of the virtual world. And uh, it's it's good. I mean, it's Stevenson. It's not necessarily Stevenson is absolute best. I mean, the man in, in Cryptonomicon, he wrote what has probably been the single best description of someone pouring coffee, pouring, <laughs> sorry, pouring cream into coffee, right? The way he described uh, putting half and half into a cup of coffee and it bouncing off the bottom of the cup and coming back up again. I'm like, and clouding, wow, out, was, clouding over. Yeah, it was just like the poetry, right? I could never yep. have written it this great. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's it's a good read. Uh, I'm I'm enjoying that. And cool. then I also just finished um, Bone Silence by Alistair Reynolds, which is about it's set in a far future version of our universe, uh, or sorry, of our solar system, where we've broken down all the major planets and built space habitats out of them. Huh. Um, cool. And there've been the rise of civilization, rise and fall of multiple civilizations. So it kind of sounds a little bit like Numenera. Okay. Um, and so, but with space pirates. So you have uh, sailing ships, which have solar sails that they're the sun's still there, thankfully. Um, and so you have these sailing ships that go between the different habitats. And there's a subset of people who explore these lost worlds called uh, bobbles. And so a bobble is basically one of these worlds that has some sort of energy shield around it. When the energy shield falls, you can go in and like look for treasure, basically. And the the idea is to get in defeat the various uh, defenses that are in place and get out before the bobble seals up again and you're lost in time and space for kind of like a Brigadoon sort of sort of concept. Yeah. Where the town so, appears um, every couple hundred years and then disappears. And if you're still in it, right. when it disappears, you stay there. Yes, exactly. Um, and so there's three books in this novel. I loved the first one because it had all these bobbles and like the exploration of those things. But it also had this... Um, uh, main character named uh, Bosa Sinan, who is the, uh, I think I'm pronouncing that wrong, but whatever, you guys don't know, you haven't read the book, um, <laughs> that, where she's a, this space pirate and uh, is raiding the shipping lanes. And so the main characters kind of get caught in her wake and they have to deal with her. And then the, the, the larger overarching story deals both with these baubles, but also the, mis- the mystery of the rise and fall of these different civilizations. And so I really enjoy Alistair Reynolds. I think he does an excellent job of world building. The series didn't go quite where I was hoping it would go. I was hoping mm-hmm. there would be more of these baubles because he does such an excellent job of kind of setting up that haunted house exploration. I'm hoping he'll release a collection of short stories at some point where he re- you know revisits that sort of thing. But, but it was a good read. It was fun. It was fast. It was perfect for summer. Uh, cool. There's a bunch of other books on my list, which you can read over at uh, nuketown.com. I, I have a tradition of reading 
Hellboy novels when I go camping. So that's the other thing that I'm going to be doing. Is I a bunch of Hellboy. Did not know there was novels. a oh graphic novels. Okay, you said novels. well, there is actually like, a novel. My daughter picked up one of those. Wow. Um, okay. Actually, I think it's a collection of short stories. But uh, yeah, no, I mean I misspoke. I meant graphic novels. So how many I've, how many Hellboy graphic novels are there? I, I lost track years what, ago. <laughs> uh if i could show you my bookshelf a lot a I lot mean, there's probably okay. <laughs> well so i think there's like probably around 18 actual hellboy between the original hellboy titles and then hellboy in hell um then it okay. spins out into bprd right bprd right and so that's got like another 20 30 books um i've actually read all of those i've been slowly reading them a couple every summer for the last 10 years um, so now I'm on to like the backstories and like the side stories. So I'm reading it. like they, they released a series of uh, 1950s Hellboys. So he's like Hellboy as a just quite you know, like kind of in his late teens, 20s, I guess. OK. Um, you know, wiping up the Nazis after the war, dealing with Russians, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, cool. And Abe Sapien, I'm reading the Abe Sapien book. So that's the uh, the fish man from right. uh, BPRD books. Um, yeah, I'm most familiar with the movies. I've read, uh, I've seen a couple of the, I've read maybe one or two of the comics and I've seen a couple of the cartoons that they did. Oh, those are very good. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of those are based off of the, I think is the one of them. novels. Um, but that, yeah, they were based on the graphic novels. Um, and those were pretty good as well. Hellboy reminds me of another comic series that I don't know if you're familiar with atomic robo. I'm familiar with it, but I haven't read it. Okay. Basically similar sort of concept to Hellboy is back in I think it really was World War II basically someone invented a robot powered by atomics but it's sentient and then like from then up until modern day it follows atomic robo through that entire all those years and I've read a decent amount of those you talking about BPRD reminded me that there's uh there's an atomic robo role playing game as well and that's you know it's also made by evil hat and it's fate based like that's one of those games that and hellboy would be one of those games where it would be a lot of fun to have proactive characters who had the ability to kind of manipulate players have the ability to manipulate the setting and and world and stuff and just go gonzo with it right because both of those sort of settings are pretty gonzo you know and they both have yeah secret government basically it's it's you know hellboy is hellboy is part of bprd and atomic robo is part of a, a separate secret government organization you know of super scientists basically who are battling against cold war sort of era super scientists on the other side of government organization sort of thing um and i think there's even a a rival government organization that trips them up every so often and things like that. So they're both very similar and I'd love to play in either universe. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, I, the thing I always loved about Hellboy and why I love reading them by campfires is, uh, as a kid, I read way too many ghost stories. Mm. I, I was obsessed with mythology and I just loved reading all, and I had like all the time life books. Right. And, uh, my parents would like get those for me when that was still a thing. And they had all of these like fantastic ghost stories in them and like this and not just yep. ghost stories, but like the, you know, the myths and legends of various cultures and what have you. And Hellboy loves to play with that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, they, yeah. they're, they're mixing up those investigations. And so doing a game, having a game where you were, having that similar sort of tapestry that you could pull on would be 
pretty cool. That would be cool. Cause it's so weird, right? Like the, and, and some of these, so some of these legends, like you see in the, in the, um, in the Hellboy animated series, right? Like there's, they're just, which is in no way judging other cultures, but like even, um, you know, traditional European cultures, like there's just some strange legends that people came up with that like in the modern era, you're like, wait, what now? Right. Like right. the whole night terrors right now. Today we know that we have sleep, par- sleep paralysis. Um, but people were thinking like when your cat jumped on your, on your chest, that it was sucking your breath out. Well, no, here you're just, mm-hmm. you're trapped in a dream and your body can't move yet. And you woke up and you, you know, you think your cat's stealing your breath. Um, those kinds of mysteries are fascinating and I love reading. Yeah. About them, so, yep. Yep. I remember those time life books as well. I, I checked them out from the library. Didn't have a copy of them, you know, personally, but that and Irish ghost stories and basically that whole section in my school library. I, you know, I went, went through most of it when I was in junior high, I think is when I was, when I was really into that kind of forgotten about that. So we're pretty far into recording here. Normally we do like a general topic. And as I said at the beginning, we didn't really have a general topic, but we thought we might get one by the time we got here. I'm now getting more fire. It's now dark. So more fireworks are going off outside. The room where Ken is in is getting pretty hot. Um, And we've talked for a long time. So we're going to save this general topic, uh, which is probably going to be like reading and consuming different media on audio via print, via Kindle, etc. We're going to do that next time. Thank you all for joining us. We were glad to have you again. Unknown audience, because we still don't have a name and we haven't released any of these things. But we do value your feedback. Back in the days of Dragon Magazine, it was months before a letter got written and published, and then another couple months before someone wrote back. It's just fine sending us feedback for episode one a year after it came out go ahead and do it again i'm david moore and i'm ken newquist and uh this has been our untitled podcast (laughs) yes all right have a great day everybody